from the twisted realm of science and the darkest pits of reason comes chilling tales of godlessness. Bear witness to the unfathomable terror that is... The Good Atheist. Welcome to the new Good Atheist. My name is Jacob Fourteen. Welcome to the news for this last week of January 2024. Christian nationalists want gay kids attacked. Christian nationalists are a cancer on American society. Not only do they want to transform the country into a theocratic hellhole by using the legal and political system, they also want children to join them on their violent crusade to rid the world of people who don't share their zealotry. You see, when it all boils down to it, when you can't win an argument with someone, you terrorize them. Christian nationalists pine for the days when people were ritualistically beaten for different reasons. For instance, in this podcast called Crosstalk, the host and guest are tripping over themselves, reminiscing about the good old days. There used to be a day and age we beat up the kids at school who had two dads, and we weren't jerks for that, Saul says, laughing. That's just what we did. Ah yes, those halcyon days when people were getting their asses kicked because they were loved by two same-sex parents. These were also the good old days when people were dying of easily treatable diseases and when black people had to ride in the back of the bus. I'm sure they would love for those nostalgic days to come again, wouldn't they? Since Christian nationalists are so busy trying to infiltrate the government to impose their worldview, they naturally assume that other groups are doing the same. The fact that more and more Christians support same-sex unions has convinced them that it's a giant conspiracy, and they think that by allowing children to violently attack vulnerable minorities, more people will come around to their way of thinking. If this all sounds familiar, it should. This is the kind of brown-shirt politics that extremists love. In the 1920s, when Hitler needed an army of thugs to terrorize the populace, he claimed that this force was the only solution to the mounting problem of communism. These mindless zombies would routinely beat and kill anyone in opposition to their twisted beliefs. Ironically, the leaders of the brown shirts were eventually murdered for their efforts, as Hitler was convinced that they would eventually try and usurp him. This is what happens when you try to use violence to enforce your beliefs. Live by the sword, die by the sword. Will America wake up from its coma and put a stop to these dangerous cretins before it's too late? If history is any indication, that's a resounding no. Scorsese says new Jesus film isn't preachy. Christians are always falling over themselves when it comes to praising their main guy. There isn't a second on this planet where one of these poor brainwashed idiots won't say his name, declaring him to be a prince of peace and other such nonsense. As far as having a glowing reputation, there are few that benefit as much as this bearded weirdo. However, if you're a non-believer, Jesus isn't just that impressive as a moral teacher. For starters, the man was always speaking in riddles. 
Most of the time, it was difficult to really pin his morality down, since there was always a confusing parable waiting to be recounted. Even religious folks are often unsure of what exactly the man was trying to say, though it doesn't stop people from trying, often, to pathetic results. Well, I am not a child, and I am not one of the apostles. But let me admit it publicly, I don't think I understand Jesus' parables. And you know what? I think that it's exactly what Jesus wants. In fact, confusion is the goal of the Jesus' parables. Did you know that? So if you are confused by what Jesus says in his parables, you are on the right track. That's some high-level copium right there. Morality is based on clarity and not interpretation. If I tell you that murder is wrong, but then refuse to define murder itself, it doesn't serve any higher moral purpose just to state that. So when brilliant filmmaker Martin Scorsese says that he's releasing a new movie about Jesus that is meant to take away the negatives associated with religion, he doesn't realize that his golden boy is actually quite lame when it comes to being a great moral leader. I can name on one hand the positive messages he conveys while running out of digits for all the weird, inconsistent, and even morally repugnant things he says. Everyone likes to blame organized religion for corrupting the message of God, but this is simply a cop-out. The founding documents of the three major Abrahamic faiths are quite irredeemable, and it's not surprising that any organization that adopts the Bible or the plagiarized Koran as their primary foundation, is bound to reflect the evils of these ancient tomes. It's sad that in Martin's waning years that he is wasting his time making Christian propaganda. Unless he wants to completely rewrite the character, Jesus isn't the kind of guy you want to be basing your life on. He was purposefully aloof, occasionally violent, and seemed more interested in fulfilling prophecy than actually doing any good. He left zero moral impact on the community he was trying to change to begin with. It was only decades after his supposed death that anyone started to pay attention to what he had to say. And even then, it was only when the religion was officially adopted by the very empire that had previously rejected it that it came into being. So at best, the most positive thing I can say of the Prince of Peace is that more people have died in his name than any other human in history. Is that really something to be proud of? Reformed Baptist pastors set free after rape conviction. The wheels of justice do not always turn. Sometimes they get stuck in the mud and there's no getting out of it. In Wisconsin, a pastor by the name of Tom Chantry had been sexually abusing his constituent for nearly a decade before prosecutors finally attempted to bring this man down. His first trial ended in a hung jury, although the only holdout was found guilty later of perjury. In the second trial, he was found guilty and sentenced to 25 years, only to later have the case thrown out on a technicality. His victims, already exhausted from both trials, declined to go through the experience again, and so the case was dismissed without prejudice, which means that they may try again at a later date. I should stress that the church, Christ Reformed Baptist Church, had been established by his father, who did everything in his power to cover up these crimes. 
You can read all about it in detail on a blog called Thou Art the Man, which goes into detail about how much of a cover-up there was. Little did I know when I began covering this story that I was dealing with a corrupt inner core of ARBCA men who tightly controlled the reins of power within the association. I had gathered enough information to believe the charges against Chantry were credible, and I naively believed that Reformed Baptist pastors would be all godly, upright men who cherished the truth. As a result, this organization has essentially collapsed, as members have left the church in droves, especially when it came to light that church leaders had known that Chantry had been abusing kids for years before it all came out. Naturally, like all sinister and secretive organizations, they believe that abuse is an internal affair and subsequently should be dealt with by church authority. The public, it seems, disagrees. What I find unsurprising and frankly disturbing is how much effort these kinds of churches put in protecting pedophiles rather than their own congregants. Sure, their membership is decimated, but there are still believers out there that support these kinds of institutions. What would it take for people to stop giving money to these assholes? Obviously, raping kids is not enough. Do they need to shoot a bunch of puppies in the face on a daily basis before people finally realize just how evil they are? Bad math tries to prove God exists. Of all the professions in the STEM field, mathematicians are the most religious. Compared to physicists, astronomers, and biologists, about half of all mathematicians have some form of faith, while people who study the physical world, unsurprisingly, barely register on the faith radar. If you're wondering why that is, look no further than this website, which purports to have a mathematical proof that God exists. Here's the basic breakdown. 1. God is defined as an uncaused causer. 2. Infinite regression isn't logical. 3. The universe must have some form of logic. 4. The only explanation is God. Of course, the formula this guy uses is a little more complex. But when it all boils down to it, it's the same pathetic first cause argument you've heard a hundred times already. And it's just as unconvincing. You see, the first point of the argument that God is beyond the laws of physics means precisely squat. The notion that there can be an uncaused causer violates the very principle this individual uses to prove their premise in the first place. Simply asserting something doesn't make it true. I would just turn around and argue that the universe itself could be proof that there needn't be a first cause to begin with. Incidentally, there's no proof that this universe isn't part of an infinite regress of other universes. We simply don't know. That's the problem when you're using something as mysterious as the universe as your basic proof. It's way beyond our current and perhaps future comprehension, so it isn't something I would recommend you try to use as rock-solid evidence of something. When you see this kind of pathetic math, then you know you're talking to a believer desperate to try to prove the unprovable. They want their God to exist outside of the known laws of the universe, but yet somehow still be bound by its logic. All that is being accomplished here is the equivalent of a word game, and when you boil it down, even their own definitions make no sense. 
If there is no infinite regress, it does not follow that there is therefore a power beyond logic to resolve the definitional problem. It simply means that your formula is incomplete. It's back to the drawing board, boys. I suspect that so long as people hold on to superstitions, they will continue to try and use every tool at their disposal to prove that the universe was a product of what amounts to a magic trick. So long as there are bad faith arguments, so too will there be bad faith mathematicians eager to prove the existence of their imaginary friend. Evangelicals think Jesus is weak. If you've ever attended church in the South, odds are you've heard the song, Give Me That Old Time Religion. If you have, you might remember these lyrics. It was good for our mothers, and it's good enough for me. Makes me love everybody, and it's good enough for me. It seems that this message of love is no longer resonating with evangelicals, specifically those that have been spoon-fed the recent rhetoric of Christian nationalists, who see Donald Trump as their new messiah. They now see this Jesus character as a bit of a pussy. Moore told NPR in an interview released Tuesday that multiple pastors had told him that they would quote the Sermon on the Mount, specifically the part that says to turn the other cheek when preaching. Someone would come up after the service and ask, Where did you get these liberal talking points? The whole turn the other cheek and judge not lest ye be judge sounds like liberal hogwash to them. They want that really old-time religion the one where there were lots of smitings from God, and where his enemies were routinely destroyed. This is the great wish of evangelicals of today. Even though they have won major victories, such as the Supreme Court repealing Roe v. Wade, they are still convinced that the world of the future is a terrifying secular hellhole that needs fixing, and only their special brand of crazy is the solution. Unlike the election that first won him the presidency, Trump's new strategy is bound to blow up in his face. Sure, he has the loyalty of the religious right, but it's impossible to win the office without getting a lot of independent voters on your side. The first time he ran, these voters were already sick of the Democrats in the White House, and they felt a change was needed. It didn't last long. Now that he's literally referring to himself as a new messiah, the messaging is proving quite distasteful to pragmatic voters who have no real party affiliation. The Republican Party used to understand this, but because of how much Trump loves to be worshipped, it's doubtful he'll change his tune to appeal to a broader base. He's even slowly eroding this base by essentially acting as a false prophet. When he loses the presidency, there's no doubt that there will be a need for the evangelical community to do some serious soul-searching. As new sexual abuses scandals erupt, the hyper-focus on Trump will spell disaster for their membership in the long term. If there's any comfort to be had, it's the fact that this is decimating churches all over the country. It's a reckoning that's been a long time coming. Russia wants to build conservative paradise. Are you tired of living in a country with freedom of expression? Does the thought of having to live near people with different beliefs terrify you? Then why not move to one of the countries with the lowest freedom index in the world, with the possible exception of North Korea? You see, according to Timur Beslangarov, 
an immigration lawyer from Russia, dozens of American and Canadian families have expressed their horrors of having to live in a free country, and Timor has the solution. He's trying to construct a special village outside of Moscow for anyone stupid enough to move there. The Russian lawyer claimed that some of these tens of thousands want to move to Russia because they are traditional Catholics who very strongly believe in the prophecy that Russia will remain the only Christian country in the world. Now, who's going to pay for the construction of this Christian paradise? Why, it's the very people who they are trying to attract there to begin with. Keep in mind that this same country has two-thirds of its rural population without access to indoor plumbing. I guess Jesus isn't really a fan of modern amenities. Considering that this same country is jailing people for years for daring to even call their special military operation in Ukraine a war, there's a very strong possibility that these moronic immigrants might be forcibly recruited to go fight in their protracted conflict. What a deal! Where do I sign up already? If you're a Canadian or an American that's tempted to move there, I have only one thing to say to you. Das Vinanya, bitches. New Hampshire official quits after religiously motivated harassment. By all accounts, Jim Gleason is a good man who always wanted to do right by his community. For over three years, Gleason had acted as town manager for Littleton, New Hampshire, working diligently to serve his fellow neighbors. All of this recently changed, however, after a row with one of his constituents over a number of paintings that had been commissioned by a local LGBTQ group. It first began when one of the board members, Carrie Jandro, had labeled the paintings as demonic. Her responsibilities as a state senator are, in her words, informed by her religious faith, which means that she has theocratic justification for spewing hatred. If this would have been the only pushback, it would not have been sufficient to merit a resignation. After all, religious people are always calling things they dislike evil. The unpleasantness that led to him quitting was the result of something far nastier. A woman by the name of Jean Chouinard visited him, and things did not go well. Jean Chouinard came to Gleason's office in October to complain about a production of La Cage aux Folles by Theatre UP at the municipality-owned Littleton Opera House. She wanted Gleason to shut it down. He said he couldn't because it was an infringement of First Amendment free speech rights, but told Chouinard she could express her own rights by protesting the show. She then called him weak and asked if he was pleased that his son Patrick, who died of cancer in 2016, was in hell with the devil where he belonged. Not long after the incident, this hateful bitch also sent a picture of him with the words queer bastard written across it. The fact that she admitted to sending it allowed Gleason to file a restraining order against her. Meanwhile, State Rep. Carrie Jandro defended her actions and has zero sympathy for a man being harassed for allowing the citizens he worked for the opportunity to express themselves. It's just another sad example of how religion makes people into hateful monsters, with no understanding of just how messed up their behavior is. Now the city of Littleton is all the poorer for losing such a committed member of government. This is how Christian nationalists win. They make the world unpleasant for everyone, and then when there's no one left to rule, they simply take over and impose their faith on the rest of us. Expect this kind of thing to happen more and more.
Connecticut youth pastor guilty of sex abuse of minors. The hits just keep on coming. Yet another youth pastor has pled guilty into coercing minors into sexual service. Jean Bernard, a 45-year-old man, had been moving around to various cities in Connecticut, leaving a trail of destruction in his wake. In one arrest warrant affidavit, he is accused of repeatedly sexually assaulting a 10-year-old boy at the boy's home in Bridgeport and in the parking lot behind Madison School. The boy later told police that Bernard would kill him, his sister, and father if he told anyone what Bernard had done to him, the affidavit states. He pled guilty to other crimes, which included driving a bunch of kids to his place and paying each of them 50 bucks to have sex with him. He would do these abominable acts around two to three times a week. It was quite literally routine for this pervert to sexually abuse children. Bernard's new routine will evolve attempting to survive the confine of an institution that tends to make quick work of such men. When he was finally arrested, a number of other victims started coming forward, each story more heartbreaking than the last. I'm sure this is merely the tip of the iceberg. Considering that many of his victims were also recent immigrants, he knew that many of them would be too afraid to broach law enforcement for fear that they might be deported. Each time I write about these stories, I'm continually baffled by the depravity of these sexual predators. The manipulation, the threats of violence, and the targeting of the most vulnerable human beings is sometimes more than I can bear. Think of the emotional scars this vile human being has left on all of these people. How many collective years of torture will they endure reliving their trauma? If there were any real justice in the world, those same tortures would be visited upon him tenfold. Until we actually invent some form of empathy machine that would force these reprobates to experience the nightmare they inflict upon others, we must rely upon locking them away far from the innocence they love to torment. Denver Pastors Scammed Flock with Cryptocurrency I feel bad for today's young people. When I was entering my adulthood, the internet was coming into itself, which meant that there were real opportunities for people to succeed with the invention of a new technology. Today, however, all that's been invented is new ways to scam people. The creation of cryptocurrency has tanked an estimated $2 trillion from the economy. That's not counting the $3 billion that is stolen annually by hackers, which amount to almost half of all their losses. This is the grifted generation, to be sure. Imagine now what happens when you combine the scam of crypto with the fraud of religion. Why, you get something called Index Coin. The brainchild of Reverend Eli Regalado, an online-only pastor that congregates his virtual flock on a former website called virtuousgracechurch.org. The site has since been taken down, as Regalado is currently in a legal battle with state regulators for his little scam. Regalado and his wife did what all those crypto hucksters do when they have people's money. They spent it. So while easily manipulated people sent him their savings under the promise that the proceeds would be donated to orphans and widows, it went instead into purchasing handbags, snowmobiles, a Range Rover, and countless other luxuries. 
Almost 300,000 of it alone went to their church, which again was simply a way for these people to pay themselves. Both of these bozos were also not very experienced coders, which meant that their crypto and virtual exchange were sloppy messes that were given a zero out of ten grade by a company that specialized in evaluating crypto security. It mattered little, as all the transactions were done via Regalado's Venmo account, or by direct money transfers. Since they were both spending the money so quickly, they routinely had to close their exchange down to avoid running out of money. They were essentially operating as a bank and then spending any deposits they received. The virtual coin that were given away were merely a representation of what they thought was an investment in new technology. In reality, it was nothing more than a basic con with a fresh coat of virtual paint. What's crazy in all of this is the fact that $3.9 million they stole from their own flock is a civil matter, and not a criminal one. This means they face no jail time for this huge scam. All the victims can hope for is that some of the money can be recouped. Judging by how quickly these bozos burned through the funds, it's not looking too good. And that was your news for the end of January 2024. Have a good atheist day, everybody. <laughs>